Welcome to the Good Fiction Podcast. Join us as we continue with Darkest Darker Dark, Episode 6. Debbie didn't care that they had told her not to stay in the tanning bed more than 30 minutes at a time, especially to start out. Nathan stayed 20 minutes and seemed to be doing fine with his light complexion and all. They'd been to the health club every day for the past week. She'd followed their little rules about the tanning beds long enough. So the previous day, she stayed an hour. Not wise. She only covered portions of her body with the towel and left most things exposed. Most of her body was bright red and felt as if a cactus was being rubbed across it every time she moved. She was miserable. The time everyone agreed she should take away from school became boring quickly. Nathan would take a day or two here or there, but most days he was in school where he was supposed to be. She liked it when he took off, though. When it was just her, the days were filled with crying and remembering. Two weeks had passed since the funeral, but still the immense pain remained. There were decisions to be made. Even though Nathan's parents had legal custody of her, they were allowing her to make decisions about what to do with the property her parents had left her. They wanted to advise her wisely, but were careful to make the decisions Debbie's. A date had been set for the reading of the parents' will. The outcome was already known. Everything would go to Debbie, but what was uncertain was just how much it would be. Once the will was read, she would legally be able to sell the cars, put the house on the market, and sell the house's furnishings, etc. That was what she had decided to do. She didn't want the house or anything it had inside. She didn't mind being there with Nathan, but being there among the furnishings and the walls of memories was just too much for her. A memory here, a memory there, a memory of this, a memory of that. There was no escape from the almost living moments that still lingered from her yesterdays. Going to the reading of the will was almost seen as much a big deal as the funeral, or that's how it seemed to Debbie and Nathan. Nathan's parents drove them to downtown and accompanied them to the 18th floor of a reflective blue glass and concrete building. After a short wait, they were led into the office where they were met by a Mr. Samuel Dozier. Debbie had heard his name mentioned around the house over the years, but had never seen the guy. He was her dad's attorney and had been for years. Something about friends in college or something like that, but she wasn't sure. She had told Nathan on the ride over that she bet she was going to find out, though. Everyone seemed obligated to tell her that they had known her mom or known her dad. It's like they were bragging that they knew them so they could be a part of it all. Bizarre. 
She was right, too. A man very well-dressed and the same age as her dad greeted her at the door of his office and showed everyone in. The view from the floor-to-ceiling windows was dizzying at first, so much so that she only barely paid attention to the story he told about how he had met her father at a fraternity party while trying to get a bunch of kegs to squirt beer instead of foam. Mr. Dozier's white collar and cuffs offset his pale blue shirt. The gold cufflinks thumped on his antique mahogany desk. His tie was a deep shade of red with little diamonds all over it in lighter shades of the same color. His gray suit jacket was carelessly resting on the back of his leather chair. Nathan poked Debbie in her side with his finger, gently, but a poke all the same to bring her back to what was happening. Samuel Dozier cleared his throat. It wasn't one of these, excuse me, but I have a hunk of whatever stuck in there, but more of a, hello, are you listening? type of throat clear. Are you okay? asked Miss Calhoun. Yes, I'm fine, said Debbie in monotone, then smiled to show she was sorry for letting her tension stray from the task at hand. Well, Debbie, started her dad's old friend. I don't know if you realize this, but you're rich. He waited for her response, but there was none. Hello, that means you have a lot of money, said Nathan, trying to make light of the situation. I don't understand, responded Debbie. Your parents managed to save an extremely large amount of money. That combined with the money you're going to receive from your mother and father's life insurance policies, well, the short version is you're going to receive just under $3 million, explained her dad's old friend. Debbie wasn't impressed. The money sure wasn't going to bring her parents back. She didn't say anything. Everyone was waiting for a reaction from her. She could sense it too, but she defiantly refused to react. Okay, well, what I have to do here today is actually go through the formal reading of the will. When we're finished, I'll spend the next day or so dealing with the banks and insurance company, and you should have the money in a matter of a month or so. It's really that simple, said the attorney. Debbie shrugged her shoulders and guided her attention back to the window. Everyone noticed, but it didn't matter. What they were doing was just a formality anyway. Samuel Dozier began with the wherefores and thereby's as he read through some of those little half glasses that people use for reading sometimes. His voice was monotone and boring. That was all she needed to further alienate herself from the situation. Why? Why did this all happen? So one minute you're here and the next minute you're not? Is it that simple? Is that all there is? The questions floated through her mind. Everything seemed to be so simple. You live, then you die, period. There's no reason not to feel good if that's all there is. She almost whispered that out loud. Suddenly, 
The urge to smoke a joint was overwhelming. Are we about through here? She interrupted. Sam Dozier looked up over his glasses as they rested halfway down his nose. She was met with silence. Debbie, we have to do this. The probate court requires it, he finally said. Would you like to take a short break? Asked a compassionate Mrs. Calhoun. We're really almost through, said Dozier in a stern voice. I'm sorry, go ahead, said Debbie. She glanced at Nathan, who was looking at her with a puzzled look. He was thinking about other things, too. Her sudden, unexpected comment was enough to interrupt his train of thought. Death was on his mind, too. What would happen if he lost his parents? He thought realistically about it. Where would he go? Who would take care of him? How would he survive? The thoughts were scaring him. Craving some float time, he began to tune back into the lawyer while listening for some end to the boring spiel. Eventually, the end came. It caught Nathan and Debbie by surprise. Debbie? Mr. Calhoun had a slight chuckle in his voice. He was trying to keep the situation as light as possible. He's finished, he said softly when Debbie looked up. Can we go now, she asked. Dozier shrugged and nodded yes. They all stood. Mr. Calhoun and Dozier shook hands across the desk and began to mumble about whatever. Nathan whispered in Debbie's ear, How does it feel to be a millionaire? Her response didn't directly address the question. She cupped her hand in Nathan's ear and whispered, Do you think we can stay at the house by ourselves tonight? Nathan smiled. I sure hope so. He couldn't have wiped the grin off his face if he wanted to. Debbie, now listen, started Dozier. I've seen this sort of thing before. Some people are responsible. Some people aren't. You've got enough money to work for you for a lifetime if you invest it correctly. I'm sure your mom and dad would want you to be responsible and... I get the picture, she shot back. There was a tension building between Dozier and Debbie. There really wasn't much reason for it, but it was there. There were glances and half-smiles of politeness as they began to leave the office. Debbie was walking next to Mr. Calhoun and had almost made it through the door before Dozier spoke again. One more thing, Debbie, he said. She looked at him in anticipation of comment. Whatever it was, she wasn't listening. She just wanted out of there. Look, there's starting to be some speculation that it was a bomb that brought down that plane, he said. I know that, she said. Did he really think she didn't know that? My legal advice to you would be to stay away from the media. This will is filed in court and becomes a public document eventually. The less contact you have with the media, the less people will tend to pry into your personal affairs. It wouldn't be wise for it to generally be known that such a young girl has so much money. I, you don't think I can take care of myself, she asked. He's not saying that, Mr. Calhoun jumped in. He's simply giving you some advice, some good advice in my view, too. 
Dozier folded his arms in front of him and put the forefinger of his left hand to his mouth like a kindergarten teacher telling her students to shush. His cufflink caught the light and reflected an annoying square of light onto Debbie's face. I don't care about the money, okay? She spouted. Okay, that's fine, he returned. But there are people out there who would love to have this kind of cash. Some of them might even go as far as trying to get it from you. Debbie hesitated. Did you get paid for doing this? She asked. That's not fair, said Mr. Calhoun. He didn't let Dozier respond at first, but was soon looking at him as he deferred himself. Of course I did. This is how I feed my family. I thought you and my dad were such good friends. She held up her finger to make quotation marks in the air. We were. I don't offer my services for free, though. Yeah, that's what I thought, she responded. Goodbye, Mr. Dozier. He didn't say anything, only rolled his eyes at Mr. Calhoun as they walked out the door of his office. Mr. Calhoun acknowledged Dozier by shaking his hand again in agreement with the eye roll. The trip home was as much a quiet one as the trip there. Not much was said. Even Nathan was trying to give Debbie some space. No one really knew how to react to her little show of temper, but given the circumstances, just leaving it alone seemed the unspoken thing to do. Once back, she and Nathan began to plot and scheme on how to have some time by themselves at the house that would soon be sold. They managed to concoct some scheme about going through photos, tapes, records, and CDs to see what Debbie wanted to keep. Maybe Nathan's parents bought it. Maybe they didn't. Either way, they decided to let them have some time across the street alone. A party for two ensued later that night. Nathan shot up and Debbie floated with weed and vodka and orange juice. The buzz turned to stone. The floating became flying. That led to a conversation that would change their lives. They sat next to each other on the big couch in the living room. Nathan drank a diet Sprite from a can and Debbie sipped her drink and alternated between talking and thinking. She'd think, sip, then talk. Nathan listened. Why are we here? She asked. Nathan smiled. Because I love you and he put his arm around her. She giggled. Not that. I mean people. Why are people here? Where? He asked. Here, on earth. Why do we exist? Nathan sighed. Question had taken the wind out of his cells, so to speak. They hadn't been thinking the same thing. Too deep for me, said Nathan. My parents, what purpose did they serve, she asked. They were here and now they're gone. What was the purpose of all of that? Debbie, he started, you know something? I think maybe there just aren't answers to questions like that. Not for us anyway. There has to be an answer, she said. I know why we're here, he said. He pulled her close to him. She smiled and put her drink on the coffee table. Now they were thinking the same thing. 
Thank you for listening. Join us next time as we continue with Darkest Darker Dark. I'm Rodney Mathers. Goodbye for now.